the industry will constantly develop itself. And the room that you build today will be outdated in two or three years. You need to be willing to innovate. Today, we're speaking to James Ducker, the founder of CryptX Escape Rooms based in Cambridge. The marketing is a frustration, constant frustration. Nearly every customer is a new customer. James worked in banking for many years. He was at HBOS during the crash and became a whistleblower when he grew disillusioned with the financial sector. In the summer of 2016, James took a family holiday to Barcelona, a move that would subsequently change his entire career from banking to escape room founder. When people go on the website, what do they see? What do they book? I've come to the conclusion that they book a name. The name itself is really what drives people. Three years later, and James's working day could not look more different. I want to build a slightly more scary one because I haven't built a scary one yet. So a Sweeney Todd room is the idea. We're really looking forward to hearing more about life as an escape room owner. Everyone in the industry is looking at expanding. There's not a business out there that doesn't say it wants more rooms. Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast that celebrates professionals working in the visitor attraction sector. What do we mean by visitor attractions? Well, it's an umbrella term for a huge range of exciting organisations that are must-sees. Think museums, theme parks, zoos, farms, heritage sites, tour providers, escape rooms, and much, much more. They're tourist hotspots or much-loved local establishments that educate, engage, and excite the general public. Those who work in visitor attractions often pour their heart and soul into providing exceptional experiences for others. In our opinion, they don't get the recognition that they deserve for this. We want to change this. Each episode, we'll share the journeys of inspiring leaders. We'll celebrate their achievements and dig deeper into what really makes their attractions successful, both offline and digitally. Listen and be inspired as industry leaders share their innovative ideas, services and approaches. There's plenty of valuable information you can take away and put into action to create better experiences for your own guests. Your hosts for this podcast are myself, Kelly Molson, and Paul Wright. We're the co-founders of Rubber Cheese, an award-winning digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for visitor attractions. Find out how we can create a better experience for you and your guests at rubbercheese.com. Search Skip the Queue on iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. You can find links to every episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast. We hope that you enjoy these interviews. And if there's anyone that you think that we should be talking to, please just send us a message. Welcome, James. Now, you have had a very long and successful career in finance previously, which seems like quite the opposite of running an escape room. How did that leap happen? The leap was uh, twofold, really. Number one, enjoyment. Uh, and number two, a disaster in the finance world. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly covering that off, the crash obviously was 08, 09, 2010, and... Uh, to be blunt, I couldn't handle banking at that point, the malls that were going on, so I left to do some consultancy work, um, a whole new podcast on why that will cease going into the future with the <laughs> FCA and judges against us and even MPs that seem to turn up, turn their backs. So I was already looking for something else to do, uh, and I was in Barcelona with my family. Uh, Barcelona, the most amazing city in my opinion, and so what else do your children do than turn to you and say, we're bored? Uh, can we play an escape room? Vaguely heard of the concept. I agreed. Being locked inside a room at 35 degrees Celsius in Barcelona seemed like a great idea. So we did one and loved it. Simple as that. I think we played another eight or nine in that two-week holiday. Uh, came home and the kids said, will you build one in the garage? 
So what if I'm going to build one? I might as well build one. And um, within two months, I had the lease agreed on this place uh, and we were building. Gosh, that's so quick. Two months from deciding you were going to do it to starting. Love it. You're a man of action. <laughs> if it's going to be done, it's going to be done, yeah. yeah. And um, and why not? And even on holiday in Barcelona, we were already planning the rooms. We'd already started talking about the types of rooms we wanted, the games we wanted to put in there, and the concept. So the first concept was the Haunted Pub, which was based on a true local legend of Cambridge, uh, the Eagle Pub, where the uh, window had to be left open. So the whole concept was about opening the window in that room, and everything was built towards that. So what's the process you go through to create these escape rooms? It varies, um, and it depends a little bit on what method I'm going to use to attack it. Okay. So at the start, we were looking a lot more story-based. Um, what is the background story, and then what would fit? So it would just be sitting around the table saying, right, I'm in a pub, and I know I want to open that window in the end. Fine. What would you find in a pub? Let's just list everything you find in a pub. So obviously I went and did some important research uh, journeys. In pubs. In pubs. Um, <laughs> vital practice. Um, and then developing, or well, my aim is to develop things that you would get in everyday world or usage and try and make them into a puzzle. There are other ways of doing it, so far more technological based. Right, I want to do some sort of product placement game. I came from the other way and said, right, if I'm going to find um, a till, for example, so in my new room, the jewellery heist, there's a till. I want to use the till to make it a puzzle, not just to be a till that exists on the corner that you can see. Um, so you go around and, and, and talk, and it is talking and talking and talking and talking and getting ideas and then putting as many into the pot as possible uh, and then start delivering flowcharts. Who, who do you do that with? Anybody who'll listen. <laughs> um, and argue with me. Yeah, it is an argument process. Um, How long does it usually take? Uh, <laughs> so if you're talking from first inception in my mind to actually the build, mm-hmm. you, you're a few months, three or four months, something like that. Um, my general build length is only one month. That is very short. Um, there are rooms that I know of that spend six months building. And then another few months testing. I'll build and open in a month. Okay. Wow. It's just 20 hour days. So where does the testing part come in? Who does the testing for you? Mainly me. Uh, my theory, and we'll come on later to the controversy that I have in the industry, um, my theory is that if I can break it, the public can break it. So I will try and break my own stuff. Not physically break it, not physically break it, but break it in terms of flow, in terms of skipping puzzles, in terms of beating the room earlier than you should beat it. And if I know the room better than anybody else, if I can beat it early, it's beatable. It sounds very much like our web design testing process. <laughs> Let's break our own website. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. So there's, yeah. as you said about coming from finance, the team that, whose name no doubt will come up during this conversation, S2, who have done 1,300 odd escape rooms, um, I speak to them a lot and draw from their experiences. And they'll talk about people who don't understand puzzles, don't understand games, don't understand design. And actually, coming from a finance world, I didn't. I've almost got lucky that there are some transferable skills, I hate phrases like that, um, that I can use. Um, Other people don't have those skills and still build rooms. Rooms that I don't necessarily like. (laughs) There are few and far between that I don't actually like. Most of them, it doesn't matter. But the design process is hugely important and and what I call what is known as flow. The flow of a room has to be right. Even if you have really good puzzles but bad flow, it won't work. What makes it not not work? What what element is it that 
of that flow that makes it not work for you? Again, it's probably too many answers to, to identify one. Too many things to look at, too few things to look at, objects that are there, what's known as red herrings in the industry. I have my own definition of a red herring. To me, a red herring is something that you give value to um, and then don't use. So if you lock away a diary in a drawer and that diary's got lots of information in it, you've unlocked that drawer, you've opened that drawer, therefore that diary is important. It's automatically got value. You then don't use it, but I will spend 10 minutes looking through that diary because you've written in it. It's clearly mm. important because you've locked it away and it's got things written in it. Mm. If you don't use it, that to me is bad design. Some rooms will use that as, again, I'll use the phrase, um, we use in the industry, I probably shouldn't, a time suck. I've got a room, I want you in there for circa 60 minutes, so I'm going to put a diary in that's going to take you five minutes to read. Mm. All yeah. I'm doing is sucking time. And it has nothing to do with nothing the, to do with that. escaping. Yeah. So when I leave, the egotistical part of me will sometimes talk to the owner and say to them, why don't you take that time suck out and put a good five-minute puzzle in? Yeah. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. It's frustrating. And that sort of flow of pushing people around rooms that you don't want them to look at or you don't, uh, I say want them, you, you want to suck their time away rather than concentrating on what could be a good idea or a good room. So how many rooms do you have here currently? You mentioned that you have the haunted pub concept. Tell us a little bit about the rooms that you have here. So originally we built the haunted pub and the jail. Um, the pub I thought was a fairly common concept because I've played a few over in Spain. Actually you come back to England, there's very few. I think there's only one now down near Bournemouth. Um, but the haunted pub was based on the local story of the Eagle, as I've said, in Cambridge. Uh, and the jail was, uh, again, a fairly traditional uh, jail cell, jail break. Half the team are locked in the cell, half the team are outside. So the first thing you have to do is break out the team from the cell, and then all of you have to get into the warden's office and escape. That was back in November, December, two years ago, 2017. Um, that's 2016, I correct myself. Um, that then, about a year in, 18 months in, I decided, because of the location of this place, uh, not having walk-in business, not having tourists, so really the clientele is pretty much stayed and it won't really move, not, not too much transience about it, I decided to change the rooms. Probably a little bit early, uh, if I'm honest, from an economic perspective, but they then changed, so the jail became a school. Uh, simply, you're in detention, you have to break out. Slightly less story-based and slightly more fun and puzzle-based. Uh, we said earlier about how I designed room. That one was designed slightly different to, to the way I did the first ones. And the haunted pub became a jewellery heist. Again, my play thinking, right, the industry is developing. I want to take it from a 60-minute time-based game where you could get out in 30 and perhaps feel a little bit upset, value for money-wise, mm -hmm. into you will be in there for 60 minutes. And it's going to be how much money you steal, not what time you get. Oh, that's a good twist. Nice twist. It's coming on a lot more in the industry, a lot more people doing it. I added the element because I felt that an escape room should still be about escaping, that you had to do more than one mission at once. You had to escape, you had to steal jewellery, and then I thought, just for pure boredom's sake, I'll add a third mission, which is based on the Illuminati. Uh, the Illuminati has still never been solved in nearly two years of it being open now. Wow. Wow. It means it's too difficult. Um, <laughs> what a challenge for everyone listening yeah. to this, though. Come on. <laughs> it is doable. It is doable. The issue is concentration. And the design of the room is, can I get you to concentrate on more than one thing at once? The answer with the public is no. Um, but if you get teams in there, perhaps six people, you get two on escape, two on jewelry, two on Illuminati, you've got a chance. 
Um, but it is supposedly a room or designed to be a room that if you're two people who are new to escape rooms, you can come in and escape. If you're four and you've played a few rooms, you can come in and, and enjoy it. But if you're an expert team, and there are more and more and more now that have done over 100 rooms, there's more than 100 people now in England that have done more than 100 rooms, uh, you can come to this place and you will still be challenged. So well, at what point are you going to say, I'm going to scrap that room? Or are you just going to keep on going until someone does actually <laughs> crack it? Even this morning, I've had a discussion with the manager here about changing, funny enough, the flow of the, of the design. Right. Two years in, the room hasn't been, or that mission hasn't been completed. The question that experienced people listening will be asking themselves is, is it too difficult mm-hmm. or is it just not very good? So you can get rooms that are so difficult because actually they're not, they're not great. They're on leaps of faith. The puzzles are too long or they're too difficult, etc., etc. et cetera. Uh, so we might tweak it slightly to give people a slightly better chance. And what we've talked about this morning is changing the first puzzle into the third because the first puzzle is actually quite difficult. The second is easier, the third is easier, and then the fourth is more difficult again. And that flow is arguably the wrong way around. It should start easier and build to more of a crescendo. I suppose you have got the element, though, where it's the marketing around that, about saying we've got a room that's not been cracked yet and there's got to be people out there who do want mm, to crack it. It's a big draw, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of things you can talk about with that. There is. It's fairly recently, there's a, a Facebook page for Escape Room Enthusiasts, a uh, UK one, a Europe one, and a, obviously a worldwide one, actually uh, mainly dominated by the Americans. And fairly recently, um, Ken Ferguson, who runs ExitGames.co.uk, um, which is probably the main site enthusiasts use. Okay. Um, he started talking a little bit about about the jewelry heist, right? And saying that if you want the sort of thing that we're talking about, then it's a place to come. Because people want to be challenged, don't they? They do. Most people want to be challenged. It's interesting that the public you will then get different groups. Some some aren't here for challenge; they're here for affirmation. Okay. They want to beat the room to feel good. Yeah. Um, and some rooms will pander to that. Um, so you'll get rooms that deliberately have high percentage escape rates, mm. 80, 90, even towards 100% escape rates. I'm never going to build a room like that. You know, I want there to be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I would rather, and I do in both of these rooms, add time. So the school has got about 25% success rate in 60 minutes. But I added 10 minutes bonus time. I say the teacher has been delayed by 10 minutes and every an extra 10 minutes yeah. if you need it, and it takes the success rate up to about 70%. We Just, probably always need that 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we probably need that. <laughs> the ones we've done, yeah. <laughs> um, you talked a little bit about the location. Um, when we drove here this morning, we drove through beautiful Cambridge countryside. It's, it's a lovely place to be. I guess it has its limitations for you in terms of not getting walk-ins um, and it being a real, it's a destination rather than a, I'm in the city, I'm going to go for a few drinks and then I'm going to do an escape room. How does that affect how you have to market and how hard you have to market? So, in a huge way. Um, the marketing is a frustration, a constant frustration. Um, the budgets are reasonably high. Nearly every customer, and this is partly because there's only two rooms as well, is a new customer. Mm-hmm. So every month you are having to buy in some way, shape and form through marketing new customers. If you have three rooms, four rooms, five rooms, whatever it may be, you will then have the repeat business from that. So yes, being out in the countryside very much has its limitations. Um, it has its positives that we try and get across. So the most important one is free car parking next to the building. Um, the next one would be similar actually, you don't have to drive into Cambridge City Centre. 
Sorry for my <laughs> Which can be a total delight. Utter nightmare most of the time. <laughs> um, the lease obviously is cheaper. If it affects people, does it affect people? Is a question I ask myself constantly. So there were some rooms in Central Cambridge, and they appear to be very successful and, and booked. Um, what changes a sort of person's mindset as to why they would or would not book a room? It doesn't seem to be bizarrely price massive. So the sixteen rooms are more expensive, and you've got to drive in, and you've got to pay for parking. You're getting towards double the price of this place. Yeah. Yet it's still successful. So um, without criticising any other rooms, their models work on much higher numbers than mine do. Um, arguably because of the finance world background, I look at lower risk and say, do you know what, if there was a problem for a month or a prolonged period within the industry, uh, and that could be snow, which always affects us. Mm-hmm. Um, people get snowed in, they therefore can't get here, but that applies the same to any other venue. Um, if there was a prolonged period of problems, would, would I survive? Yes, because overhead, overhead's lower costs. Mm. Um, and the next venue that I'm looking at is exactly that. It's not in prime location, um, but then I'm not willing to take the risk. Um, I admire those who are. There's a new room in central London, which is pretty famous, based on Sherlock. It's a joint venture with the BBC. They've spent hundreds of thousands, if not more, uh, in terms of build. But then their ticket prices are £55 a head, whereas we average about £15 a head. Wow. Um, then you get onto the next discussion of do people expect something different? Um, actually, no. When people come here, they expect not necessarily the same build quality, but they expect the same experience, the same enjoyment, similar puzzles, similar ideas. They don't actually think, well, it's three times less expensive, therefore it three, should be three times worse. Neither should they. So do you regularly speak to your customers and get the feedback? And do you just speak to them face-to-face or how do you? Very much you, so. Yeah. So again, it's all these sort of decisions on business models. Um, I was one hour 50 slots, so one hour 50 for a one hour slot, just gone to two hour slots. And the biggest reason for it is the most enjoyable part for me, that sounds a long way around with customers, is talking to them at start. They will always have five, 10 minutes chatting to me in this room or the one next door. Uh, before they go in, they will then have their hour 70 minutes if they need it, and we will then have five, 10 minutes at the end talking, running through the room, and that still only takes us to 90 minutes, worst case. So that still gives me another 30 minutes to reset before the next team arrive. Mm. Uh, other business model, let's say Central London, because of their high costs, they will run on 90 minute models. So they still need 15, 20 minutes to reset, and we can now see that they've only got a couple of minutes to talk to you at the start, no real time to talk to you at the end out the door you go, and that's not what I enjoy, but it also doesn't help me as a business. So talking to them at the start, what rooms have you played, what did you like, what didn't you like? Once they've played my rooms, some of the stuff, what did you like, what didn't you like? Did you notice this? There's certain little eggs in the, in the rooms that I hope people will notice. They don't make a difference to the room, but they'll make you a more enjoyable experience if you do notice it. What do you mean by eggs? So there's a banner in the school that's actually based 99% on Back to the Future. Okay. Um, so when I was building the room, I decided that well, what did I like about school? And I thought about the likes of Ferris Bueller, but I did manage to get in uh, Back to the Future, which I have managed to get in. Um, the only thing that's changed on the banner is that it says Napwell High, not Valley High. Um, yeah. So it's little things like that that they, I show them afterwards. And how many children are watching Back to the Future is very upsetting. <laughs> I have the same issues with people who haven't watched Top Gun, so I feel your pain. See, I should have, I should have got Top Gun in there. <laughs> um, 
I suppose a bit more experience in, in build design, I can start to do a, thing, a, few, a few extra things that perhaps I couldn't at the start. So putting these eggs in or putting some jokes in. Uh, and again, it's something that I would like to do more of. Um, there's an uh, enthusiast up north who I, again, speak to a couple with and listen to. Um, and he would like um, some UV lights on an Egyptian tomb. And he, he gets very frustrated that things aren't in theme. And UV would not be used in an Egyptian tomb. Okay, yeah. So he wants <laughs> UV to say something like, don't be silly, this wouldn't be found in Egyptian times. <laughs> <laughs> more jokey, more fun. Yeah. Um, not a red herring, because you're telling them this has got no value. What are you looking at this for? Yeah, yeah. Um, so little things like that that I'd like to do, I'd like to do more of. Uh, and again, as an industry, I don't think we've really cracked the jokey side of all of this. Um, you've got horror, you've got the scare, and you've got some fun games, but you've not so far, in my experience, got the fun side of it. It sounds like you spend a lot of time with your visitors, and do you think that kind of personal experience they get helps them come back? Do you think that that's a draw for them? I do. I do. Uh, anecdotally, yes. Um, from the sort of stats we can get, and stats are difficult in the industry because it's so new, but the sort of stats that we can get, it seems that my repeat business is higher than most, which is lovely. Great. Um, only two rooms against this frustration, which is why we need another venue. But yeah, the personal experience adds to it. There's actually been a, a recent discussion on the Facebook group about whether Games Masters, GMs, as we're called behind the scenes, um, should interact with people in rooms. And it's very divisive. Mm. These serious players say no, because I'm in a room, I want to be immersed in that room. There should be no outside influence unless absolutely needed. Unfortunately for them, I'd probably say don't visit here because I will get involved. <laughs> um, I will put things up on the screen that I think are funny. Um, I will take the mix sometimes, quite a lot. Um, <laughs> as people go through the rooms, I have a little laugh button when people take too long to solve something. A little laugh through the computer. <laughs> oh, just, just mocking them ever so gently. <laughs> sometimes not so gently. <laughs> um, so, yes, my, there is a TripAdvisor review out there. Um, Shouldn't have should you? Uh, my favourite one that says, thank you for 60 minutes of abuse. <laughs> it was a pleasure. <laughs> uh, so yes, I enjoy myself and the staff that I have here, I get to enjoy themselves. I think that's really important that if we enjoy ourselves, you enjoy yourselves. Well, that's why you're doing it, isn't it? Yeah. End of the day, it's enjoyment. Yes. And what other marketing channels do you use? What, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about how you do have to work a bit harder because of the location. What does that mean? Where do you look at where you kind of spend your advertising marketing budget? So nearly all my budget goes on two places, which is Google AdWords and Facebook. Um, I've tried and wasted a lot of money in lots of other areas, <laughs> uh, mainly print. Um, so I've seen newspapers and magazines um, even some online magazines. So all of that really has proven to be virtually fruitless. Why do you think that is? Is it because you can't measure it or is it? The measurement that we, that we use is that we use a set, separate code every time we advertise. So if it's a 10% yeah. off discount code, it will say, whatever, uh, use this on booking. Mm. Nobody uses it. So that is our assessment of where things are going right or wrong. Do you think people just aren't seeing them because they're not reading I still think perhaps it's too special. Yes, you've got the obviously readership levels are down and that sort of stuff. Um, the nearest village to us, um, which is now basically a little town, Campbell, um, I've tried advertising in their local. Uh, and it, I know people read that. I live there myself. And, and that's where, that's what you read. But they don't, they just don't, for whatever reason, they're not looking for escape rooms at the time. Is it your target market? Is, who is, I mean, who is your target market then? 
should be a really good thing, this, but I see it as a negative. Quite a negative person on this stuff. Um, <laughs> the target market is everyone. Yeah. And because of that, it's really difficult. Mm. Um, it's, I, again, partly because of the family based issues, I built room for children can play. A lot of rooms do not want children playing. They do great things, but actually, in my experience, they don't break any more than adults do, particularly drunk adults, drunk adults or adults, hens yeah. or stags or you know, all these sorts of things. <laughs> um, so, I allow children to do children's parties. Um, I downgrade my rooms. Downgrade's a really nasty word. I change my rooms slightly. Um, I add bridges, leaps that I expect adults to make. I, I bridge the gap for the, for the children with some bits that I add to the rooms. So from that point of view, um, kids can come and play. So you've got right the way down to probably six-year-olds that could come and play, seven, eight, somewhere around that level. Yeah. Right the way up to you know, the grandparents. Um, is that quite unique? Is that is that not? Can you not find that locally? Not massively. Uh, it's getting more, um, in particular one, you know, one local company right on the road and, and talk, um, I've said the success that we've had and he started doing some, some parties for children as well. It just takes a little bit more involvement from, from Games Master, either you change the room or you get a bit more involved from, yeah. on the loudspeaker, um, or go in the room with them at times. And none of that takes away from the experience. Um, on the marketing side, that therefore your, your range is so big that targeting is, is really difficult. It's really difficult, and I think what I've started to do now is target sectors or sections over different periods of time. So during the summer holidays, Easter holidays, it will be targeted to the families. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the quieter periods, we charge the corporates, uh, and you'll have different leaflets going out to different places to do different things to different people. Um, but that then increases your costs because you're now doing five bits of marketing for the same, effectively the same uh, company. Frustrating, but. Over time, we hope that will change. Um, again, as an industry, we talk to each other a lot, and we feel it is becoming more mainstream. Um, we had the Escape Room movie that finally made actual cinemas uh, in February. There was one the year before that went straight to Netflix and the likes. But you know, we've now got a mainstream movie out there, as okay as it was. Um, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, you've got the likes of James Corden, who went and did an escape room with Ariana Grande last year. You've had BBC do it. Uh, the One Show interviewed S2. So you're getting more and more feedback on this. And over time, we hope it's going to become so mainstream that actually one of your events, what do I do this weekend, cinema, bowling, escape rooms. You've mentioned S2 a couple of times. Who, who are S2? S2 are Sharon and Sarah. Um, they are uh, S squared, as they like to put a little too after their name. Okay. Um, Arguably the most famous, and it is arguable, famous group in England uh, that are players. They've got about the 1300 escape room mark. Um, they hold my record for the school, they hold my record for the jewelry heist, oh, um, they hold about 75% of the records in the United Kingdom. They know what they're doing, let's put it that way. Um, one's a doctor, one's an engineer, clever girls. Yeah, and, uh, that's they, where we're going wrong. They're smarter than us. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't have to be a smart thing. Let's, let's put that one in there quickly. It doesn't have to be a smart thing. It just so happens that, that they are very intelligent and it's their speed of brain is what affects their um, the way they play. So they'll go through and they'll see a puzzle and they'll perhaps think there's five ways of doing this puzzle and they'll do those five ways before you've done one. Uh, and so they can get rooms very, very quickly. Um, you mentioned them at the start when, when you was just starting up. So did you get their advice um, and speak to them to 
annoyingly not before I opened. <laughs> okay. Um, they've now become friends, so yes, you know, I've played rooms with them, and they'll come and play these rooms, or we'll just have a drink in the evening, go for a curry, and have a chat. Yeah. Uh, and it is about getting their advice and their feedback. You know, what would they do? I don't do everything they ask, um, but it's you know the, the jewelry heist I've changed, I've tweaked. Tweaking is really important once you've opened a room. Um, and they have ideas and suggestions. They also have a, a way that they like rooms to be. Um, and the main thing is logical. If you make a room logical, they should be too quickly because they are that good. They should be at around about the 25 to 30 minute mark, um, which is exactly where they are for the for the school because that means most teams out there will be around the 60 minute mark. They're about twice as good. Yeah. Um, so yes, I will seek their advice and pretty much everyone's advice. So you get right to the top of the S2s, right the way down to... This is going to sound bad. My family. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and they'll come in and, and for example, they, they feel the school is too hard. Mm. So they've played it and they've said, why don't you do this, why don't you do this, why don't you do that? And actually, I've not really taken too much of that on board, but there are elements to it. Of course there are. Where I say, yeah, okay, I could change this or I could change that, particularly if I get uh, either children playing or a team that come in and say, we've never played an escape room before. I might do something a little bit different in the room. This tweaks issue is, is massive. Um, as to what you can do or should be able to do to your room in order for everyone to enjoy it. Is the industry as a whole a supportive industry? So do you do you actively kind of talk and collaborate with other escape room owners, managers to to work out how you can make the industry better? Most of the industry is helpful. Um, I believe there is more backstabbing than people realise. Um, I, think, I think that's any industry. That's the really. industry, yeah. Yeah, so I've only been in two in the finance world. I mean, doesn't get more backstabbing than that. <laughs> yeah. um, the the escape industry. Part of the frustration I have is that it is known for being so helpful to each other. So you'll constantly get comments about how great this industry is and so helpful to each other. And then I'll be sitting here thinking, well, I know that there's one person in particular who's being very unhelpful towards me or the business or indeed the industry. Mm. Um, and that's tough to take at times. I'd like there to be some sort of overarching body that, that can deal with these problems. There are some borderline legal issues where people are advertising or misadvertising, et cetera, et cetera, and they can be dealt with through the normal channels. But there's also channels that, that should exist, in my opinion, where if you can show that another escape is deliberately harming you because of locality, there should be some overarching body that says, come on, that's, we'll take away your not license because we can't license it, but we'll take away your approval if this is a practice that you wish to seek. Um, so let's use one example. If you go to a, an escape room and you ask them about are there any other local ones around because you want to play and they deny all knowledge about local escape rooms, that's harming the business, that's harming sort of the other person's business, but the industry as a whole is stopping people from coming. Mm. Um, that, that to me would, would deserve a phone call from the authority saying that's not really on. Um, direct them to the website Exit Games, which has got every single escape room in England dotted with a, a little dot on a map. But there's, it's not as nice as perhaps people think, and uh, it's tough work. On the complete flip side, there are some amazing owners that do help, that do things for free. Um, hopefully, I'm one of them. I'm helping a fairly local room at the moment build their new room um, because they were a bit nervous about flow, they were a bit nervous about non linear. They've only built a linear room before. 
um, you know, the eight ball puzzle after the other. Um, and that's all free. I'll go up there and spend days with them, just just having a chat. That's lovely. Um, and it, it should be that way because I know they're going to help me in the future and they do things that I can't do and all that sort of stuff. There's people online that you'll post something, I've got a tech problem, this, this, this. What do I do? And they'll post a, not only a full answer, but diagrams that they've drawn out just to help you. There can be some, some lovely stuff. Uh, we have a, a conference. We are that sad. Once a year. <laughs> There's a conference for everything. Well, are there awards as well? There aren't awards. I would like there to be awards. That's got to be oh, the next, maybe that's your thing. The next step, isn't it? Maybe you set them up. That's it, set up the awards. I'm not sure people would like my awards. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did mention you were slightly controversial, so I think I'd be worried as well. Um, yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> um, it, is, it is about saying things like we've just said, though, about actually standing up and saying, no, it's not all fluffy and roses and beautiful. There are some problems. There are some mistakes. There are some things that should be better. Um, as angry is not quite the right word, but as uh, forceful as I've ever been, it was only a few weeks ago in a room where a plug socket was used to hide something. Um, it is known. We know that they exist out there. We know the Americans use them. Um, and almost to a man in England, we believe that this should be struck off. There should not be a plug socket mainly because we're going to get either children, adults, it doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. stick something in a real plug socket mm-hmm. and kill themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I played this game with a plug socket and they said, I challenged them afterwards, and they said, but everything else that hasn't got something in to do with this game has got a sticker on it, that hasn't got a sticker on it, therefore we're telling you it's okay. Perfectly reasonable argument. However, when that individual visits my room next week and kills himself and I'm in trouble for it, it's your fault. Yeah. Um, Ken did a very good, Ken Ferguson from Mexico Games did a very good speech at one of the conferences um, where he talked about training players. Uh, and he gave the example, if you walk into a room and I, you ask me to undo that chair, it's the first thing I do, I will destroy your room because you've just trained me to destroy your room. So I talked to this other owner about training. You've trained somebody to look at plug sockets. They should be a no-no in the industry. Again, that's an authority comment. That's the sort of thing that authority should just strike, take away and straight away take away their whatever it is that they've got, some sort of approval system. You shouldn't use those. Um, so other rooms have to be aware of other rooms. How does authority start? How there are there are there is there is some background noise as to agreements uh, at the last conference uh, where all good important meetings take place, which was the pub afterwards. Yeah. Um, we we had a, a chat, a few of us, and said as long as the as long as the line was very basic, there would be support for it. So things like health and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the disaster that happened in Poland in uh, last year, to the end of last year, and the fire officers have been round to the majority of escape rooms in England uh, and tested them and made sure that they're all compliant. Personally, I don't think that's enough. I think the fire officers do their job and that we have rules and regulations in England, but actually escape rooms is such a different industry that we should have our own levels, our own expectations. Uh, it's not just about whether there's a fire exit or the door's got is marked correctly um, it's also about how the game starts. Are you handcuffed? How do you get out of those handcuffs in an emergency? I have played a room since the Poland game. There is no way on earth that one of my team would have got out uh, had there been an immediate fire. So clearly they've passed the fire rings, but that's not enough. So the sort of authority that we're talking about, I think there should be some sort of basic uh, regulations that we stick to, which is way above the regulations that we would have to for law. It only makes sense, doesn't it, to have that in place? I don't see the argument against it. No. 
What's next for escape rooms? Their popularity is growing. If only we all knew. We do debate this a lot. Um, there are some big players coming into the market. Uh, when you say, sorry, when you say we, who do you mean? Anybody on the Facebook groups, so the owners group um, or the enthusiast group. Yeah. Um, it is vibrant. It is constantly uh, lots of discussions going on and lots of arguments that, that go on. Uh, the arguments across the pond are arguably the best. Uh, the Americans are desperate for something called Gen to come in. Is it a Gen 1 room, Gen 2, Gen 3? Gen 1 would be padlocks. Gen 2 would be basic tech. Gen 3 would be more tech. And then, so in England, obviously, you take the Michael out of the Americans and say, I've got a Gen 3000 room. <laughs> um, it's... <laughs> Yeah, because there's no, I'm not going to mention the word authority, because there's no overarching anything, we don't know the comparison issue. But Gen, this concept of electronics really, is the push that the market is having. It's actually not a push that I'm a massive fan of. Um, I still like a padlock. I still like to enter a code, into a padlock, feel it open, and it's that touchy feel. It's tactile, it. isn't it? It's, exactly. it's that element of being able to pick something up and hold it. Yeah. Or just try things as well. So when I'm training, which is a slightly weird use, uh, word to use, teams after the event. So no matter how good they are, I'll still um, go in and say, "Could have done this, could have done that." You know. And one thing I would also with a four-digit or any digit uh, actual padlock is you can try as many codes as you like. It will not lock you out. You give me a safe or most electronic uh, devices, and they will lock you out for a period at some point. So all of a sudden, you get nervousness over trying ideas. Mm. That's what's getting to about developing ideas and thought processes and firing off each other and, and coming up with numbers, uh, usually numbers, sometimes letters. And then you, you use it. And if you take away the padlock element, you're taking away an element of it. That is not to say that tech can't be used. That is not to say that tech isn't fantastic to sometimes use in a very tactile way as well. It, it can be terrific, arguably the best room in England. Um, it's been voted as the only room in England in the top 50 in Europe. Uh, is Curio, uh, which is owned by Escapologic in Nottingham, fantastic company. Simon is the owner, he helps set up a conference, so he's brilliant in the industry. Um, and actually their big thing, I think I'm allowed to say, is that the whole room moves. And it's actually not through technology. Wow. So it's, uh, it's it's fantastic, and it's uh, everyone loves it. That's why it's the best room in England. Yeah, he's gone a slightly different route of just changing people's thought process about what they expect when they walk in a room. Because it's just completely different to any other, and it's something that's com- like new. And yeah. as soon as you walk into it, it's like, wow, this yeah. is this is cool. Exactly that. Exactly that. You get different types of teams, different types of thought processes. That, as you can hear, from, I've got ideas as to what I like, mm. but you'll get those who say, "I just want to play rooms that are stunningly immersive." So, you, what you want is build quality. You want tens of thousands, hundred thousand pounds spent on sets. If you go to LA, so I'm told, because I haven't been there, because of uh, Hollywood, you've got set designs that are out of this world. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a great room, in my opinion, because I'm after puzzles. Um, but set design is, is a massive thing. Is there set design? Are the puzzles any good? Um, is there tech? Is there not tech? You'll get certain teams saying, I want to play rooms with no padlocks, because they, they think that that's the next level, or that's what they enjoy. Um, so when teams are, are with me and they play the games, and I'll then say to them, we talked earlier, what did you like, what didn't you like? Um, and you'll get children say, well, I want to play with more remote control cars. And I'll say, well, there's a great room in North London that I've played that I really enjoyed. It's got lots of cars. Um, or you'll get a team saying, do you know what? It's not as dark or scary as I thought it was going to be. Brilliant. Got to Norwich. There's a great room in Norwich that was really scary, but no live actors. 
then you'll get those who say, well, I want some life actors. Brilliant. Uh, same company, Escop Logic in Nottingham, have got the butcher. It's a famous room. The butcher will come in at some point to kill you. That sounds terrible. Uh, 8% of teams <laughs> leave before the end because they're so scared. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> only really scary room I've played is Edith. I played with S2. That's the only reason I took it on because otherwise I wouldn't have got out. Um, and he will keep appearing out of the darkness just to make you jump. Uh, I knew there was a puzzle on the other side of the room. I didn't do it, but then I knew he was over. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be the same. I'm not, I'm not one for getting scared. But I don't like it. That's off the list. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't do live actors. And a lot of people say that to me, actually. Is I can't. I can do scare, but I can't do live actors. And live actors, that brings us round to my actual thought process. Where's it going? Well, things like live actors. So live immersive theatre mm-hmm. is this phrase that's been around for a while now. Our escape rooms getting closer. They are. It's not where I want them to go because I think escape rooms should be based on puzzles, not on theatre. Um, there's a fairly recent room that I won't mention that's opened that people are saying you're almost walked through. Um, and that's not where I think our industry is. There's enough space for all of this. It's very diverse, isn't it? The types of uh, rooms and the, well, and the kind of tastes of different people are mm. kind of being catered for. And it, it seems like there's a room for everyone, but it's. I suppose for the the customer, it's knowing what room is going to suit them. Mm. Yes, and they don't. And yeah. uh, another frustration of mine, when people go on the website, what do they see? What do they book? Why do they book? Um, I've come to the conclusion that they book a name. Um, so the school of hard locks, just think about the connotations to school. So clearly children are allowed. Mm. Um, if you're an adult, well, I'm going back in time to my school days. Yeah. It's not going to be threatening. It's not going to be scary, hopefully. Um, so it, the name itself is really what drives people. Um, there are rooms out there that use strobe lights, but don't advertise it until you've already booked. That, to me, is wrong. Yes. Um, but they, there's nowhere that you could sort of click on and say, right, I want a scary room within 50 miles that uses no live actors. Go. Mm. It doesn't. We've not got to that level yet in in the industry. Do you think that will come soon rather than later? Yeah, I do. The likes of Exit Games, which is terrific, and it was the first one that I, that sort of started. It says it's got a dot for every room in the country. It tells you where they are, and it has reviews of those rooms. Okay, but it doesn't quite have the functionality that we're that we're talking about there. They should call us because we could build that for them. <laughs> <laughs> they should. They should. <laughs> um, I think there's, there's too much subjectivity in the review process right now. Uh, and again, if you look at where this started, it's about five years old now in England, that sort of number. And it started with only a few rooms, Hint Hunt, Time Run in London. Um, and the big boys uh, of the industry and the initial enthusiasts simply went in and said, this is a good room, this is not a good room, in fundamental terms. We've now got to, um, the last count, there's over 1,200 rooms in England. It's probably more like 1,400, 1,500, somewhere around that number now. You can't just say good room, bad room because of the subjectivity issues. Mm-hmm. Um, my last room here actually wasn't stunningly happy with it. It was okay, um, but he didn't understand what I was trying to do. So you've not just got what a room is. It's what's it trying to be? Well, the jewelry house was trying to be all things to all people. So when he walks in as an enthusiast and experienced guy, and he says it hasn't got this, this, and this. Well, I can't put one room that's built for you. It just doesn't work anymore. I've got to build rooms that are open to everyone. On that note, mm. as we come towards the end of our podcast chat, we want to know what's next for you. What comes next? Next, uh, so there was a planning application in with Rushton, 
um, which is about 45 minutes away. Hopefully, a big, much bigger venue. It would have five rooms in it instead of two. That's exciting. Um, I want to build a slightly more scary one because I haven't built a scary one yet. Um, so, a Sweeney Todd room is the idea. Uh, having said that, two Sweeney Todd rooms have opened since I've started designing a Sweeney Todd room. Uh, it's something out there in the ether. Um, uh, Hooky JFK room, a uh, conspiracy theorist room, which sounds the same as the JFK book title, and then perhaps a more child friendly, so specifically aimed at kids, specifically aimed at families. Uh, I played a very enjoyable one in King's Lynn and playing with children recently, and I thoroughly enjoyed it even as now. Um, but I did beat their time. <laughs> quicker than six-year-old children <laughs> make that clear. Um, so Rushton another venue and and hopefully more after that um, everyone in the industry is looking at expanding there's not a business out there that doesn't say it wants more rooms that will cause its own problems um, I believe Singapore as an industry has already um, got too big and therefore gone poor um, because the expense of AdWords gets higher and higher etc etc so there are going to be massive challenges for the industry we are obviously not going to talk about Brexit today Nope. But disposable income, uh, entertainment income, or money you're willing to spend on entertainment, uh, is all going to be massive challenges for us. Um, but definitely another venue, and hopefully get the repeat business that we've got here, but into more rooms. It's really exciting. I just wanted to ask you if, for anyone who was thinking about creating a escape room, what what tips would you give? Probably hire me. I think that it would be a great idea. Brilliant. Uh, what would the tips be? Do you know what? Somebody asked this fairly recently on Facebook, and the comments back, three, four, five of them, were don't do it. Think again. <laughs> do something else. Uh, it's a lot tougher than you think. Yeah. Um, the to getting two and a half years in now, and I'm basically happy. You know, it's taken a long time to get to where we are. Um, the risk reward would be my number one tip. Are you willing to put in the risk? In order to get the reward, uh, the larger the venue, the bigger the obviously the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. Do you go smaller or not? Um, most rooms will start smaller, as I've done. It's almost a make or break, I think, this market because at one, two, even three rooms, making reasonable profit, or making a living, is virtually impossible. As much as there are lots of rooms out there that everyone's living at very low levels. Um, so, number one would be: Are you willing to take the risk reward? And if you are, do it and do it properly. Four, five, six, seven rooms, bigger venue, better place, invest or loans, etc., etc. But you consider the risk carefully before you do it. It sounds like innovation as well is key. The industry will constantly develop itself, yeah. um, and the room that you build today will be outdated in two, three years. But yeah, you need to be willing to to innovate, have ideas, and try and put your ideas in place. I'm not going to try and compete with the tech boys. I haven't got that in me. As much as I'm teaching myself basic technology at the moment, um, that's that's not my strong point. So I'm going to stick with strong flow, strong logic, strong puzzles, mm. and let the others do that. And if people want to play those rooms, I will send them to those rooms. I'll tell them where they are. And if they want to play my sorts of rooms, hopefully they'll enjoy From what you've been saying as well, it sounds like being part of a community as well has really helped you been key. Yeah, very much so. Um, as frustrated as I get with it, I read it 10 times a day. Um, <laughs> there are constant posts and there are constant good posts and there are constant bad posts and you learn from the bad posts as much as you learn from the good ones. Yeah. Um, you know, what they've done wrong is, is important. It's very important and uh, it's nice that people admit what they've done wrong um, or the problems that they're having. So yes, that, that community is, is massive. If you're willing to immerse yourself into it and in particular listen to the people that you that, that know what they're doing. 
the S2s, the Kens, the Marks. There, there are people out there that, that do know what they're doing and they're willing to talk to you. Mm. So talk to them. And yourself, of course. Goes without saying. Almost goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> James, thank you so much for your time today. You've been a fabulous podcast interviewee. Pleasure. Thank you. You can find links and notes from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast, or search Skip the Queue on iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. Please remember to leave a rating. It helps other people find us. This podcast was brought to you by Rubber Cheese, an award-winning digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for visitor attractions. Find out how we can create a better experience for you and your guests at rubbercheese.com.